You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, so we are week number two in the book of James. We're going to be here for the next few months. And uh, let me jump in uh, this way. Uh, You know, it's funny. When people ask me, what do I do vocationally? I still can't believe what comes out of my mouth um, when I say uh, I have the privilege of pastoring people. I, can't, I still can't believe that that's the answer. And, you know, looking back over the last couple of decades of, of pastoring, uh, it's come with many uh, blessings, unexpected blessings that I wouldn't have dreamed of on the front end. I just didn't think about on the front end of all that. And, and some of those blessings have been, uh, you know, Pastoring a group of people has given me a front row seat for some of the, I mean, just the absolute best moments that can happen in a human life. Just amazing moments, kids being born, um, weddings, just these these amazing moments in human lives. Uh, But it's also given me a front row seat for some of the worst moments in a human life. I mean, just take your breath away type moments, that, that diagnosis or that loss or that death or that divorce. And so part of what, part of what that did to me early on in, in just working out how, how do I become a, a better pastor for people is it taught me really early on that part of a job of a pastor, and it's an important part of a pastor's job, is to prepare people for the pain of life in a fallen world. It's part of what the job is. If, if you're a pastor, it's, it's to do that work of, of preparing people, of helping people develop a theology you know, for tragedy and trial and trouble before they taste it, preferably before. That's the best time to develop that, to, to prepare people for those sort of moments. And when I just look back, even of our time at Stonegate, that's why we preached through the life of Joseph was to do that work um, with you. Um, it's uh, the reason that we picked First Peter to, to preach through a few years ago was to do some of that work with you. If a pastor fails to do this for his people, prepare them for pain. If a pastor fails to do that, in many ways, a pastor is failing his people, the, the people that God has entrusted to him. It's, a, it's an important part of the work of pastoring. Now, that brings us to our passage today in James chapter 1. It is a passage designed for preparation. There will be a moment in your life when suffering knocks on the door of your life, barges in, squats in your living room, and you are unable to get him out of your life. That moment's coming for you. It's coming for me. And and when that happens, this passage in the the book of James, chapter 1, it's one of those passages that that we need. In that moment when it goes down, when suffering knocks, we, we need this passage worked down into our bones by the time that happens. We need this passage to just sort of be in us. This is James writing to his people. James is the pastor. He's writing to his people who are suffering. They have been persecuted. They've been persecuted so badly that his people have been scattered out of Jerusalem and they find themselves all across the known world as as refugees in a different culture among a different people trying to eke out a life and, and figure it out. And it's James as their pastor writing to them in their pain and their suffering with the aim of helping them, preparing them, helping them endure life in a fallen world, suffering, pain. 
James chapter 1, verse 2. James, the pastor, says, Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I just want to make a few observations about these few verses here. They're teaching us about suffering, and they tell us a few things about suffering. One is that suffering is certain. That suffering is certain. You know, it's hard to convey the catastrophe that was Genesis chapter 3. It just has a way of stretching words beyond uh, their ability to convey things accurately. When our first parents bit into that forbidden fruit, hell literally rushed out. If you just read forward in the story, it is one moment of suffering after another. It's one of the things I actually most appreciate about the Bible is the Bible is an honest book. It doesn't matter what page you turn to in the Bible, you're going to see suffering on the page. Pain will be on that page in some way, shape, or form. It's everywhere in the scriptures. This is why Job, chapter 14, verse 1, Job says, Man who is born of a woman... Here's what, here's what you need to know about man born of a woman. His days are few and they're full of trouble. Welcome to life, right? That, that's, that's the effects of Genesis chapter 3. This is 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says, arm yourselves with this thought so when suffering knocks on your door, you're not surprised when you hear the knock. Arm yourselves for this. And James is also honest with this. Look at verse 2. He says, it's not, it's not if, he says, when you meet trials. When. Not if, but, but when. Not you might, but when you meet trials. Uh, picture your life in 20 years from now. What do you see in 20 years from now? Generally speaking, what we see in 20 years from now is our designer life. It's a designer life. We all have a designer life. It's our life uh, without loss. It's it's our life, uh, and it's all pleasure, no pain. When we look to the future, that's typically what we see. But then there's James chapter 1, verse 2. When you meet trials. When, not, not if, but when you meet trials. Rich, poor, uneducated, educated, love Jesus, hate Jesus. When you meet trials. Not if, but when this broken world breaks into your life. And and listen, as a a follower of Jesus, would we expect anything different? We have a suffering Savior, don't we? And part of what it means to be in union with Christ, like for him to be in us, and us in him. Part of our union with Christ means that Christ's life, his suffering life, he's a suffering servant. And all of that suffering, Jesus' life is still being lived through his people. So, so his path is our pattern. He suffered, so, so we suffer. We shouldn't expect anything different as a follower of Jesus in this life. So can we just receive this from the Lord before we do anything else this morning? Can, can we just receive the when of this passage? Not, not an if, but the when. 
Can we just receive that word from the Lord that suffering is certain in your life, in my life? It's coming for all of us. It will knock unannounced on our door at some point. Suffering is certain, but that's not all we learn here. We also learn that suffering is diverse. When you meet trials of what? Various kinds. When you meet trials of various kinds. Now, think about what suffering is. If we just want to work with the broad sort of um, working definition of suffering, you could think of it this way. Suffering is wanting what you do not get, or it's getting what you do not want. Now, if, if suffering is that broad of a thing, wanting what you do not get and getting what you do not want, if that's suffering, then suffering has hundreds of hues, doesn't it? It is diverse. It comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Uh, there's physical suffering, f- physical pain. There's chronic illness. The sort of, you know the sort of illnesses that don't just get better tomorrow? There's physical suffering. There's relational suffering. There's wanting marriage, but still waiting for it. There's uh, the loss of a dear loved one. Maybe it's a parent, maybe a spouse, maybe a child. There's the loss of marriage. There's divorce, which is its own kind of death in our lives. Or, Or maybe it's a rebellious spouse or a rebellious child. There's emotional suffering. Some of us this morning, we walked in under the dark clouds of depression. And those dark clouds seem to be hiding the face of God in our life. There's abuse. Some of us have experienced abuse in this room that was so evil that it's just breathtaking. Suffering is not only certain, it just comes in every sort of shape and size. Which, just tangentially, is, it's one of the reasons that we all ought to make it our goal to be kind to people. Because people's lives are a lot harder than we think they are. No, no one's immune from these things. No, no one's immune from them. If we could survey the suffering, like just look around this room. If you knew the the amount of suffering in this room, in the lives of these people, you would would be blown away. It would be staggering if we could chronicle all the suffering in this room. Suffering is certain. Suffering is diverse. Thirdly, this passage shows us that suffering has purpose to it. Now, again, remember, James is writing as a pastor. And, and he is, he's trying to prepare and help his people endure suffering well. And, and part of what James is trying to communicate to them a couple thousand years ago and to us now is that suffering has purpose. Every trial, big or small, slight or severe, every trial carries divine design. Every trial carries with it divine purpose. There is no trial that enters your life by the hand of God. There is no trial that enters your life that doesn't have divine purpose packed into the trial. Now, now this is what James is trying to show us here. Look at verse 2. When you meet trials of various kinds, for for, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, you might want to circle that word produces. Because we need to be reminded that, that suffering is it's actually producing something. 
It, 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 it's producing, it's, it's doing something in our life. It's, it's producing steadfastness. And then he goes on in verse 4, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now think about that, those words, perfect and complete. That is not James's way of saying, hey, if you just suffer, you're going to be sinless on the other. No, it's not that. That's not James's point. Um, when he's saying perfect and complete, you might think of it like this. Um, it would be the, the equivalent of, of saying you're going to be whole and mature. That's the idea, perfect and complete. You're going to be a whole person, a mature person, one with deep character formed in the image of Jesus. You're going to be whole and mature. Through suffering, God prunes us. And you know what's crazy about pruning? You have to cut the plant back so far when you prune it that the plant actually thinks you're killing it, right? Right? I mean, that's pruning. God, God takes suffering and he uses suffering to prune us, to, to cut us back so that, that the fruit of the Spirit can then grow in our life. In the hands of God, trials transform us. Trials, trouble, tribulation, they're, they're packed with divine design, divine purpose. Uh, years ago, I heard Randy Alcorn preaching on Romans 8. And uh, he used this analogy. He said, imagine me sliding a piece of paper in front of you and on the front side of that paper, you, you were to write the worst moments of your life. I mean, just the, the, the sort of peaks of your suffering and pain, write the, the worst things that you have endured in your life. Then uh, flip the page over and on the back side, write the richest, uh, tell me about the richest moments of your life with God. Those seasons where you have just like grown exponentially with Jesus, write those on the back. And then he said, you know, it's amazing if you look at the front and back of that page, how the front and back of that page are doing this. Our worst seasons are so often that the richest seasons in our life with God. Now, why is that? That's because every ounce of suffering brought into our life by God carries with it divine design to make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But... When suffering, at least for me, when suffering shows up on my door, breaks through the door and, and sits in the middle of my house, its divine design is the first thing I forget. It's the first thing that leaves. When suffering shows up, remembering this is the first thing that, 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 that leaves. So, so James reminds us in verse 3, for you know. For, for you know, you know this, you know that suffering, any suffering that you ever go through in your life, it's not an accident. You know that, it's, that it doesn't sit outside of the sovereign hand of God. You know it has been introduced into your life by God who is good. You know this. You know that suffering is carrying divine design, divine purpose. And I just wonder how many of us need to be reminded of that this morning. We just need to allow Peter to remind or James to remind us, for you know, for you know. When I experience suffering, so often the first casualty is this view of suffering. So James is saying, for, for you know, for, for you know this. And, and what we know about suffering, that yes, it's painful, but that it's packed with purpose. What we know about suffering changes the way that we experience suffering. 
He's, he's, he's saying, for you know, it's, it's got purpose to it. It is packed with purpose. It carries divine design. But we also see something else in this passage. Suffering doesn't just come to us with purpose. Suffering requires a right response. It requires a right response. It's not just what we know about suffering that matters. It's what we do with suffering that matters. It's not just what we, we know, that it's got this divine intent and divine design, but it's what we do with suffering that matters. Now, this ties right into the overarching point in the book of James. Uh, we're kind of summing that up as faith that works. Like our, our faith actually does things. It, it listens, it obeys, it moves, it responds, it acts. Right? F- faith works. And this is, this is where he's taking us. It's what we do with suffering that, that matters. Now, let's take a step back and just all acknowledge. Trials do not automatically make a person steadfast. Trials and trouble and suffering do not automatically make a person perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. No, suffering does not automatically bring those things about. Suffering brings with it uh, dangers, legitimate dangers. Anytime any follower of Jesus suffers, I I don't care how solid you are, suffering threatens to to erode and and to wash away our confidence in the goodness of God. It tempts us to turn from God. Suffering brings with it those dangers. This was Satan's aim with Job. You you remember the book of Job? I mean, I, I don't know that you could have a worse day than, than Job had. I mean, he, he lost everything. And this was all Satan's design for him. Satan actually made a deal with God. He, he looks at God and says, um, hey, God, you know why Job is following you, right? Uh, Job is following you because you have given him all pleasure and no pain. But God, uh, you want to see how fickle Job will be? You, you let me take away his pleasure and introduce pain into his life. And, and you're going to quickly find out, God, that Job actually doesn't uh, care a lot about you. He is only interested in your hand, not your face, God. Now, Satan was wrong about Job. Satan did rip all the pleasure out of Job's life, introduce virtually nothing but pain, and that suffering actually deepened Job's dependence and his belief in the goodness of God. Satan was wrong about Job, but he is right about many. Rather than making us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, suffering oftentimes makes people bitter and closed, disliking everything about their life. You know those stories. I know those stories. Some of us are walking that story right now where suffering has just turned us away from God. It's closed us up. It's, it's embittered us against the world. So James says here, let, let, and look at verse four, and let steadfastness have its full effect, and, and let it have it. Suffering doesn't have to sever our trust in the goodness of God. It can actually, like Job, sink us deeper down into God, but, but we have to let steadfastness have its full effect. We have to let it. That means we're, we're doing something with it. We have to let our steadfastness have its full effect. So, so there's a danger. We, we can experience suffering and become bitter 
or it can actually make us better. It can actually produce this beautiful fruit in us, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Listen to, to Tim Keller articulate the danger of suffering. He says it this way, the stakes are high. Suffering will either leave you a much better person or a much worse one than you were before. Trials and trouble in life, which are inevitable, will either make you or break you. Gosh, is that not so? They will either make you or break you. But either way, you will not remain the same. And here is the hinge. Is it going to make you or break you? Make you a better person or a worse person? Verse 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect. If you want to see a picture of letting it do that, Job is your picture. His life has fallen apart. He's standing in the ashes of his life and he's worshiping God in Job, in Job chapter one. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. That is a person who is letting steadfastness have its full effect, not, not half of its effect, not a quarter of its effect, but to have its full effect. There's your picture of it. The, the biggest tragedy in suffering is not the crumbling of our lives. That is happening when we suffer. Our designer lives are crumbling. But the biggest, the biggest tragedy in suffering is not the crumbling of our lives. The biggest tragedy is when our lives crumble and we waste the crumbling. That's the biggest tragedy in suffering. And so church, can we just make this commitment together that we will not waste our suffering? That we will not let it have its half effect, its quarter of effect, its, its eighth of effect, no effect, but no, we as a church will be committed to helping one another let suffering have its full effect. If, or it's not an if, it's when the, the Lord walks us down through the valley of the shadow of death. When the Lord does that, can we just all make the commitment that we will not waste that walk? The, the, when the Lord takes us down there, that we will let that walk down through the valley of the shadow of death have its full effect, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We will let it have its full effect. Now, how, how do we do that? Well, verse one tells us, James says, here's how. You, you count it all joy, my brothers. That, that's how you count it as all joy. Now, of all the commands in the Bible, I don't know that there's any command that cuts across the grain of my impulses as badly as that one does. I would totally get it if James says, um, okay, so when you meet trials of various kinds, do this, sink into self-pity. I would get that. If, if James says, hey, when you meet trials of various kinds, become bitter and resentful, I would totally get that. If he says, when you meet trials of various kinds, become self-absorbed as if the whole world revolves around you now. I would totally get that if that's what he said. But when I read this, I'm like, James, come on. When we meet trials of various kinds, count that as all joy? He says, yeah, that's what I want you to do. Count. That means to, to consider. That means to, to assess our, our suffering. 
count it. That word it contains the whole of our suffering, big and small, slight and severe. Count it all joy, all joy. Now, let me clarify two things. That doesn't mean, counting it all as joy does not mean that we sort of fasten on a plastic smile. That's not what he's getting at. Joy is a deep, durable delight in God. That's joy in the Bible. And grieving losses in suffering, grieving the fact that we're suffering, grief and grieving isn't the opposite of counting it as all joy. Grieving is not the opposite of, of counting it as all joy. Grief is actually one way we fight alongside with God for our joy in suffering. So by all means, when we suffer, grieve. The Psalms give us a language to do that. 30 or 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. That that is the church's hymn book. And like 30, 40% of, of the hymns sung by God's people were them saying, God, how long? How long, oh Lord? When, when is this going to stop, oh God? Right, so, so we should grieve. Grief is one of the ways we fight for our joy in our suffering. We, we should grieve our losses. So it's not just fastening on a plastic smile. Second clarification. Th- this is not a command to love suffering. It's a command to love what Jesus is producing through suffering. He's doing something in you in suffering. For those who will let suffering, God is taking that trial and transforming you. He is producing steadfastness in you. And through that steadfastness, for those who will let it, he's making you perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's a command to love what Jesus is doing in that suffering. Now, what I want to do for the, basically the rest of our time is I'd like to bring Kevin Hill out today. And Kevin uh, is one of our pastors here. And uh, one of the first times I sat down with Kevin, um, I just got to hear his story. And his story is full of suffering, hard suffering, difficult suffering. And Kevin has been just, in a lot of ways, a great model for me uh, to, to see what does it look like to let our suffering produce in us steadfastness and to let it have its full effect making us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So Kevin, I just want to affirm you, first of all, you, and just say thank you for being a model like that for us. And we would love just to be able to hear from you for a few minutes yeah. today, kind of along those lines. And so uh, maybe we could start just by letting you just introduce us to some of the suffering that God has brought into your life. Sure. Um, good to be here this morning. Um, you know, I've had, uh, I had a prayer since I was nine years old, and I was praying that God would give me a preacher for a son. And that was something I prayed diligently. Uh, in 1997, God gave me a son. And uh, Grant uh, was born, and Grant has all kinds of problems. He's autistic on the severe side. Uh, he has a seizure disorder uh, to where uh, we have a bed in our bedroom, and uh, he has seizures every night, and they're life-threatening. So two or three times a night, I'm getting up, taking care of him, making sure he's alive and breathing. And uh, this has uh, almost been 23, this may be 23 years of just uh, with Grant. Uh, you know, he operates at about a two-year-old level, um, and he's also nonverbal. And uh, so that's kind of on that, uh, you know, uh, 
three years ago, uh, I got a, probably the most terrifying part of my life, uh, I got a call from the doctor, and they found a, a malignant uh, golf ball-sized tumor in my head. And uh, this particular tumor, uh, the stage of it, uh, the odds of surviving were pretty slim and, and making it through. So I'm, I'm looking at my death. And part of what I'm doing is I'm trying to look at, uh, like, who's going to take care of Grant? Is he going to be all right? Mm-hmm. Is my wife going to be all right? You know, and, and trying, to, trying to do this. And so what that led into was surgery and then 35 rounds of, of radiation. Um, they had to basically almost bring me to death in order to kill this cancer. And, you know, praise God, I'm cancer-free today. I just mm-hmm. love the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. And so uh, with that, Kevin, you might just uh, take a second to just tease out some of the, the difficulties that have come along with these yeah. two things and, and maybe just walk us through, like when you're looking back over it, some of the pitfalls that you felt as you walked through just difficult things, hard things that, that you would want us to, to maybe be aware of as people walking through suffering. Um, maybe what are some of those pitfalls as well? Yeah, um, Having a disabled, disabled kid is, is really hard. And, uh, you know, I think probably the, the hardest thing in my life has uh, me watching him suffer. So hard. Mm. You know, <laughs> two weeks ago, uh, we had a, a thing where he had a big seizure in the morning. And then he had about 500 seizures in the next 30 minutes. And you're just pleading with God. Mm-hmm. You know, and trying to, trying to deal with that and trying to, to get through that. A little pud, you know, and just, uh, man, just that, you know. There, there's been losses on the side with Grant. You know, I, I'm, I missed out on raising a normal kid. I'll, I'll never go to a, a school lunch with him. Uh, he'll never play sports. Um, never walk down the aisle to get married. Um, losses there. Uh, personally, uh, the seizures, you know, it's taken, it takes a toll on you, you know, getting up every night, three times a night. Uh, taking care of him, and, and you know, probably the, the, the biggest one is the vacillating back and forth. Can I, can I trust you, God, mm-hmm. you know, in this? Can I, can I depend upon you? And, and it's not all just on me and, and trying to, you know, hear God there, you know. I, I think for the cancer stuff, you'll see me 24-7 with this because uh, the cancer took away uh, my saliva, and so I, I live life without saliva now. And, and, uh, you don't know how valuable saliva oh, is yeah. until you don't have it, right? Yeah, yeah. I spoke a couple oh. of years ago, and I, I, uh, I said, like, I never thanked God for my saliva until I lost it. You know? <laughs> and so it's like, man, you know, the things we take for granted that God yeah. gives us that are gifts. And uh, you know, to try to do that. And I know a lot of people here are, are undergoing a lot of things. And uh, you know, it, Alzheimer's and, and Parkinson's and cancer, and, and you have disabled kids. And, and, and these struggles of life. And so I know you know what I'm talking about, you know, in those areas, you know. So the pitfalls, I think, you know, I heard you mention uh, self-absorption. Yeah, it, it, uh, it can make it all about you really easy. And, uh, you know, part of that is like you're just bombarded with, uh, with very difficult things. And then you start to try to make yourself feel better. Try to, try to compensate yourself there and, uh, you know, uh, then you're tempted to isolate yourself because nobody can relate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's a, a real pitfall, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that I had to battle. And, 
and doing that. And then probably the, the hardest one is uh, it's easy to think really hard thoughts about God. Mm-hmm. And like, is he good? You know, and uh, you know, that conversation I had with God back at nine years old, you know, he gave me a preacher and, and Grant can't even talk. And, and like, that's not right. Is God kind here? And, and struggling with these things that, uh, that uh, I had to come to terms with, with me not understanding what God is actually doing. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a passage in Deuteronomy 8.3, and it uh, talks about uh, God is talking. He says, I'll let you go hungry so that you can have manna, which your fathers did not know. And, and, and so, like, he lets these things happen to you so you'll know him in a greater and deeper way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so, uh, you know, Kevin, when you're looking back now, um, you've had Grant for 23 years. Yeah. 23 years. So that's a long yeah. term. You're just, you're walking beside Grant day in, day mm. out. You've, you're kind of a few years now on the back end of cancer. And uh, when you look back now and you're looking at like, okay, man, I, I see some things. I, I count it as a joy that God was doing these things in the midst of that. Um, how, how would you describe some of the things that you look back upon and just yeah. have so much joy about what the Lord did produce? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Grant has is, is been the hardest thing that's ever happened to me, but also the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Mm. And, and what a blessing he's been. And, and you know, and through, through that struggle, you know, I, I think back in the uh, uh, Adam in the garden, and there's perfect dependence there with God. And, and there's a lot that we could extrapolate there on what that really means and, and what was going on there. Uh, and then sin came in, and dependence gets put on other things than God. And that's super easy to do. And I think, uh, I've, I've always said this with Grant, uh, that God has put me in a corner and there is nowhere else I can go. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing else I can do. I can do all I can do. And then, then it's, it's totally me and God. It's up mm-hmm. to God there. And so uh, being in a corner in life is a very, very difficult thing. And it's, and it's super hard. But, like, that's where you meet God mm-hmm. is in the corner and, uh, and seeing that. So he has taught me to depend upon him and, uh, and just rely upon him in that. Uh, I, th- I think the second thing, uh, he's, he's used it to change me. And uh, I look back at 23 years, man, I am a completely different person than what I was. And uh, I think of a story, you know, I, I came back uh, from college and I saw one of the girls I knew in, in school at a department store. I was going to go say hi to her. And so I started walking over there and I stopped in my tracks because she had a little boy twisted up in a wheelchair uh, beside her. And I turned around and walked back out. And, and now I love those kids, man. And, and so like how God has just changed my heart. Uh, there and just trying to, uh, you know, allow God to work and let him do that. Mm. Um, you know, Grant's uh, been my life teacher. He's, he is a preacher, mm. much better than I ever thought, <laughs> much different than what I ever thought, but a, but yeah. a great uh, teacher and a preacher to me. Uh, you know, I've got a million stories I could tell about him, literally. Um, one of the things is, like, I walk Grant. Grant's in a wheelchair, and, and I can walk him. And, and uh, so we'll, we'll start walking down the hall, and he'll get scared. He's going, he's going to fall. And I'm like, I ain't letting you go. I ain't dropping you. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think of, like, God with me mm-hmm. in that. And it's like, man, God, I ain't letting you go, Kev. I, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just trying to depend upon him in, in that. And, um, you know, I've, I've had that privilege of, of looking 
uh, being able to look back and, and see God change when a lot of people don't get that. And so that's actually a blessing to see that and see how God's worked in my life. Uh, I think the third thing is uh, God has used uh, suffering to bless other people. And, uh, you know, when I, I got that terrible diagnosis of cancer, um, I told Elizabeth, like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not, but, man, I want to I get God glory. And uh, if you're uh, my Facebook friend, you're, you're, you know I'm a terrible Facebook friend. <laughs> but at the time, I, I, I uh, put out every day of, like, man, this is what God's doing. This is, this is where I'm, I'm struggling. This is where uh, I'm looking to him. And, and through that, you know, 2 Corinthians 1.3 talks about uh, the God of all comfort who comforts you. You're able to comfort other people. Yeah. And, and I have seen that come true in my life. And, and a lot of that's just putting uh, your stuff out there. And that's hard. But you know what? We're not meant to go through this alone and, and to do that. And so uh, due to my suffering, man, I've had a lot of people. Uh, it's literally it's like every couple of weeks people contact me with cancer. It's like, hey, I, went, I heard you went through this. Tell, talk to me. Pray for me. And, uh, you know, probably one of the, the, the best um, things that, uh, that happened is uh, I had a guy uh, a lady at church, she's a nurse in Mansfield, and so she called me. She says, hey, I've got a guy uh, that's got terminal cancer, and uh, he's dying. He doesn't know how to handle it. And I was like, yeah, I'd love, love to talk to him. And, and so she said, well, he's an atheist. I was like, well, bring it on. Even you better. Yeah. And so I started to meet with Michael. And uh, over the course of about three months, he, he's full-fledged atheist, you know, you know, big bang, all that mess. We, we fought through that thing, and uh, God saved that guy, and it was so awesome. Mm -hmm. and, and, and just to tell you, that next year, that guy was so on fire. He read the Bible four times, and he is in seminary today, even though he's got terminal cancer, and that's pretty cool to be able to, uh, to be participant in that yeah. with God. It's amazing. You know, and so, uh, so that's a really good reason to open up your suffering. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. hard to do that, you know, but that's part of what we're made. If, if you want to give us just one more just encouragement as you're finishing up of uh, we're all going to be walking through suffering, what would you want us to remember and uh, how would you want to encourage? Yeah, uh, I had a, a lady uh, come up to me uh, at church here uh, during prayer time and, and just uh, struggling and just freaking out and uh, she had just heard that she had cancer. She just got cancer and I, I told her, I said, this sounds a little harsh, but I said, so you realize you're dying. And that's what's happening. She's, mm -hmm. she's freaking out. And, uh, and so uh, I told her, I was like, man, I don't know what God has for you. But I told her, I said, I look out at this crowd. And I said, I said every one of us in here are dying. And, uh, but the deal is, is like most people in the crowd are just trying to get through the week to get to the weekend and wasting their lives. And, and so I looked at her as like, man, this actually can be something that God blesses you. And, and so you can actually live while you're dying instead of die while you're living mm -hmm. and, and to do that. So I just want to encourage you guys of like, man, every day is precious. Don't take it for granted. And God is, and life is so short. God has blessed you. Mm -hmm. And, and, and try, to try to waste your days and try to be fruitful mm -hmm. in how he's made you. Yeah. So. Well, Kevin, I want to thank you again for being a good model of what it means to let these things produce in us steadfastness, uh, to let steadfastness have its full effect, that we could be perfect and complete. Thank you for being a model of that for us. I, I tease Kevin, Kevin sometimes. I'm like, man, when I wake up and I'm having a hard day and it's been a rough one, 
I oftentimes think of Kevin and I'm like, okay, I can't complain. I'm not going to do it. Uh, because the Lord has just brought many hard things into your life that uh, you have been an exemplary model of what it's looked like to walk through them. So can we give Kevin a round of applause? Appreciate that. So let, let me just end like this today. I, I would love to be able to work through the rest of this passage, but we just, we're not going to have time this morning. But uh, let me just get you thinking about the rest of this passage, and then we'll finish. Uh, you know, in some ways, I think the rest of the passage is answering or helping to answer the question of, okay, so if we're going to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds, what do we need to do if, if we're going to count it as all joy? How can we, how can we position ourselves under the grace of God so, so that we can count it all joy. And, you know, if you look at verses 5 through 8, I, I think if there's one thing we can do, it's to ask for wisdom. That's verse 5, to ask for wisdom. We do that sincerely, asking God to help us see what we need to see about our suffering, to submit to it in the way that we need to submit to it as we're walking through it, to ask the Lord for wisdom. I, I want to give you this homework in your groups this week. Um, I think it would be a great thing in your group if y'all rehearsed um, here's some of the hard things in my life. Here's the front of the page. But let me turn the page over and talk about the richness of what the Lord did in that hard season. It would be a really wonderful thing to refresh and encourage one another this week. So ask for wisdom. And then secondly, this is verses 9 through 12, is to look to the future. That's kind of the point of verses 9 through 12, to look to the future. And listen to verse 12 for a minute. James says, Blessed is the man... Blessed, who remains steadfast under trial. Happy is this man, blessed is this man who, who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That's an amazing verse, isn't it? I love what one pastor says about this verse. He says, suffering is the fitting room where our heads are measured for our eternal crown. That's what suffering is. The Bible shows us that, that when we suffer, it's not just producing something in us, it's producing something for us. It's enlarging our experience of heaven one day. It's going to increase our joy of forever that's in front of us. Your suffering is doing that, producing that for you. For you. So James says, brothers, sisters, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Would you pray with me? I want to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful and to wipe away the things that wouldn't be this morning. And I was reminded about this story from the Pilgrim's Progress where Christian goes to the interpreter's house. And the interpreter is just going to open up to him some things about the Christian life. And uh, the interpreter walks Christian into a room, and it's got a fireplace in the room. And there's a fire going in the fireplace. Uh, but in front of the fireplace, there is a man that's just throwing bucket after bucket of water onto the fire. And the interpreter says, uh, let me make sense of this for you. 
That fire is like your faith. That little flame is your faith. And that man who is dousing the flame with water, trying to extinguish the flame, that's Satan. And so often through suffering, he is throwing bucket after bucket of water down onto the flame, trying to extinguish it. And Christian looks back at the interpreter, and Christian just, he's bewildered how the flame is not out. How how in the world does the flame still exist? How, How is it still burning? And the interpreter then opens the door and allows him to see what is behind the fireplace. And behind the fireplace, there is another man. But this man is not throwing water onto the flame. He is throwing oil onto the flame. And the interpreter says, this man behind the flame, that's Jesus. And through the power of the Spirit, he is every moment, moment by moment in our life, while the water is being thrown, heaped onto the flame of our faith, Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, is is throwing the oil of the gospel, his life, death, and resurrection, throwing the oil of the gospel onto that flame to keep it burning, to keep it safe and secure. And so, Christian in the room, I want to remind you that today, Jesus, our big brother Jesus, has promised to do everything needed to keep our faith alive, to give us everything needed to let our suffering produce steadfastness and to let steadfastness have its full effect. So, oh God, I pray for my friends in this room many of which are walking through such difficult seasons right now. Father, would you throw the oil of the gospel into their hearts? God, would you protect that little flame of faith? God, would you give us the ability to let, to let suffering produce steadfastness. To to let suffering have its full effect. God, would you grant us the ability to count it all joy. Oh God, do that. Would you meet us now, you, the God of all comfort? Would you make yourself felt and tangible and experienced in this room right now by your sons and daughters? And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.